the National Day of Prayer. This is an annual observance, which is held on the first Thursday every May. It was actually back in 1952 when the United States Congress actually designated the National Day of Prayer as a day when people are encouraged to turn to God in prayer and meditation. Not only that, but listen, the President of the United States is now required by law to sign a proclamation every year which encourages all Americans to pray on the National Day of Prayer. And then through the efforts of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, there are more than 35,000 prayer gatherings that occur all across our country, which are attended by several million people who are expected to participate in this call to prayer. Sadly, though, for many Americans, it's the last time they'll pray until next year's National Day of Prayer. Yeah, some people just pray on the National Day of Prayer. And what's even worse is that there's a recent survey which has actually revealed that only 45% of Americans say they pray on a daily basis. Yeah, less than half of Americans pray on a daily basis. And while 65% of American adults admit that they pray at least once a week, 15% of those surveyed were quick to confess that they never pray at all. Yeah, 15% of Americans never pray at all. Knowing that prayerlessness is an issue that has even impacted the lives of some Christians, well, I believe that we would all do well to consider the Lord's point of view about the importance of prayer. It's here in our text today where we find the Lord Jesus. He's actually presenting us with two parables about prayer. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, it's my hope that we would all become believers who are people of prayer. Now, with this as the goal, we're going to spend our time this morning considering, first of all, how believers ought to pray with careful persistence. Secondly, we'll learn that believers should also pray with faithful patience. Finally, believers ought to pray with humble penitence with this as the outline. If you would, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Here in Luke 18, we find the Lord Jesus presenting his disciples with two parables about the importance of prayer. Now, as you make your way to the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel account, well, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that the Lord Jesus was leading his disciples to Jerusalem. The reason why? Well, it's because the time had come for him to be crucified for our sins. And as he made his way to the temple of God, he took the time to minister to people along the way. And it's here in our text today where we find the Lord Jesus. He's now helping his followers to understand the importance of being prayerful people. And with this as the focus, if you would look with me here at Luke chapter 18, I want to begin reading there at verse 1. Here Luke writes, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, before we take the time to examine the lesson that the Lord was presenting here in this parable about prayer, I should first take a moment to remind you that a parable is a simple story that has a heavenly meaning. A parable is also a short story that's told with the purpose of making a moral or a religious point so that the student might better understand uh, the doctrinal truth that's being taught. So as a teacher teaches a doctrinal truth, they might illustrate the doctrine with a, 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 you know, a parable or a, or a short story. And it's here in these verses where we find the Lord Jesus, he's presenting his disciples with a parable that illustrates the importance of praying with persistence. Now, for the sake of clarity, we should spend some time here considering, first of all, the meaning of the word pray. 
You know the original Greek word, which is here rendered pray, there in the middle of verse 1? That word is a word that encompasses everything that's included in the idea of prayer. This, of course, includes supplication, petition, intercession, imprecation, and thanksgiving. In order to grasp these different types of prayer, I want to take just a a few moments here to define these terms. First of all, prayers of supplication are personal prayer requests that that we present as we ask the Lord to, to answer a prayer on our own behalf. Prayers of petition are the formal requests that we present to the Lord on behalf of others. And so we present the Lord with a a petition as we uh, pray for someone else. Then there's prayers of intercession, which are also petitions, but they're specifically offered in the hopes that God might show up and and, and pour out his mercy on another person or we're praying for their benefit. And and then there's the the prayers of uh, imprecation, which are personally my favorite. These are the prayers we pray when we ask the Lord to punish the wicked. You know, and there are several Psalms where we find King David praying these sorts of prayers that God would grind their teeth to powder and these sorts of things. Finally, there's prayers of thanksgiving. These are the grateful prayers that we offer as we express our appreciation to the Lord. Now, the chances are most of our prayers, whether you know it or not, include a combination of these different types of prayers. As a matter of fact, uh, prayers of petition well, they can easily turn into prayers of intercession. Prayers of intercession, they can start including prayers of imprecation. Prayers of supplication oftentimes conclude with prayers of thanksgiving. And there are times when our prayers include all of these important aspects of praying. And, and yet, regardless of the specific details of our prayers, one crucial component of praying effective prayers is to pray with careful persistence. Now, what do I mean by this? Praying with with careful persistence. Well, with that, let's consider again how Luke here uh, uh, describes the parable that Jesus was about to tell. We find this preamble to the parable in verse 1. If you would look with me again at Luke chapter 18, verse 1, where Luke writes, He spoke a parable to them, and then gives the explanation here, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. According to Luke, the parable that the Lord Jesus was preparing to present, it's actually designed to encourage his disciples to become people who always pray. Now the word always there found in in verse 1, it's actually translated from a Greek word which means this, it means always. It's deep, I know. It means always. And what this means is that we should see every situation as an opportunity to pray. Whenever our minds begin to wander with worry, that's a great time to pray. Whenever we feel, you know, anxious about something, perfect time to pray. Whenever we're completely at peace, perfect time to pray. Whenever, wherever, whatever the situation, it's the right time to pray. And with this as the goal, I should remind you about the prayer life of the prophet Daniel. It's actually in Daniel chapter 6 where we learn about the daily custom of the prophet Daniel, which was to kneel down on his knees three times a day and present his prayers to the Lord. It's my guess that Daniel was actually following the plan of King David, and that plan is presented in the 55th Psalm where he declared, evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Yeah, King David prayed in the evening and in the morning and at noon. He prayed at least three times a day. And and with these examples in mind, uh, let's not forget that the Lord has called us to become believers who pray when? Always. And so I'm not even trying to give you this legalistic idea that, okay, so uh, evening pray, you know, morning pray, noon pray, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, get you to get into some legalistic ritual here, but rather just to point out that all day throughout the day, we should be praying. With this as the goal, let's take another look here at Luke chapter 18, verse 1. 
Here again, Luke tells us that he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Here in the preamble of this parable, Luke here is helping his audience to understand that the people of prayer should continue praying and and to continue praying without losing heart. What does that mean? Well, I like the way that the scholars who created the New Living Translation rendered this verse. They put it like this. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Not losing heart means never giving up. We should continue to pray with careful persistence. Now, what this has the goal, we should consider the way that Paul encouraged every Christian to pray with careful persistence. And so if you would hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as you make your way to the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, I just want to take a moment to point out that prayer, well, you know, just to demystify it, if you would, uh, prayer is a simple and, uh, and, and, and a spiritual point of connection that enables us to communicate with our Creator. So, so we have a creator. He's the infinite, invisible God. <clears throat> and prayer is our spiritual point of contact with our creator. It's the way we communicate with God. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Prayer is a spiritual discipline that allows us to connect with our infinite creator. How incredible is that? And we've been called to connect with our creator prayerfully by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, with that being the case, you know, Christians ought to then pray with careful persistence, not losing heart and not losing hope. Let's consider how Paul puts it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 16, here Paul declares, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will for you, Christian, to pray without ceasing as you give thanks for everything. Yeah, Paul here is calling every Christian to pray without ceasing, which means that we should pray incessantly. We should give great care so that we might pray with persistent perseverance, To sum it up simply, Paul was challenging us to become believers who are constantly and continuously praying with careful persistence. And just to be clear about this, I'm not suggesting that you can start a prayer first thing in the morning and then keep that prayer going until you go to bed at night. That's That's not what I'm saying. But when you wake up, you know what you should do first? Pray. Before you step one foot out of the bed, you should pray. And as you head off to work or you, you go off to school, pray on the way. When we go shopping, we should be praying. When we sit down to eat, we should be praying. If you're healthy, you should pray prayers of thanksgiving. If you're ill, you should pray for healing. We should pray for our family. We should pray for our friends. We should most certainly pray for our government. We should pray for our leaders, whether secular or spiritual. Pray for the leaders of the church. In everything, by prayer and supplication, we should spend time talking to God as often as we can each and every day. And while it's true that believers ought to pray with careful persistence, it's also true that believers ought to pray with faithful patience. Now, with this as the focus, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 18. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's you know, presenting us uh, and his disciples with, a, with this parable about prayer. And I want to take a closer look at this parable. If you will, let's pick up our study of this parable, beginning there at verse 2. Here the Lord Jesus now declares, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, 
hear what the unjust judge said. Now, as we consider the content of this parable, you know, it's important for us to realize that the Lord wasn't here endorsing unjust judges. That's not his point. He's not saying, you know, God, our father in heaven is kind of like an unjust judge. That's not the point of the parable. To prove my point, I would remind you of a statement that the Lord made in Micah chapter seven. There we learn that the judge who seeks a bribe is actually engaging in evil. Yeah, the Bible tells us that judges who seek bribes are evil. In Isaiah chapter 10, we also find the Lord presenting a word of warning to every unjust judge by declaring this. He says, woe to unjust judges and to those who issue unfair laws. Without debate, the Lord is opposed to every judge and every lawmaker who abuses their position of power for personal gain. This ought to be a point of concern for all of the unjust judges and unjust lawmakers here in America who have perverted justice after receiving bribes from those who are wealthy. And Christian, I'm here to tell you that just because something is legal here in America doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right. There are things that are legal here in America that the Bible says are wrong. And so the Christian who says, well, it's legal, so it's okay. Not necessarily. Because we have unjust judges and unjust lawmakers who have made unfair laws that Christians should not follow. Like speed limit laws. No, I'm, I'm joking. All right. Moving right along. There are corrupt courts across our country where ungodly judges are being influenced by bribes. And as a result, their judicial proceedings and judgments have been perverted by their desire for filthy lucre. Well, it's here in our text today where we find the Lord Jesus uh, describing this parabolic woman seeking justice from this sort of judge, an unjust judge. And with this in mind, let's take another look at the parable beginning at verse two. Here again, the Lord Jesus declares, there was a, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. As we take a closer look at these verses, it's important for us to understand here that the Greek verb, which uh, was rendered came, she came to him. That, that Greek verb is actually found in the imperfect tense. And just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the imperfect tense generally refers to an action that is continually repeated. It's continually repeated. It's for this reason that this uh, parable about prayer presents us then with this woman who continually came to this unjust judge. She patiently approached the unjust judge over and over and over again until, she, until he finally agreed to do what was right, not in her eyes, but according to the law. I like the way that the scholars who created the New Living Translation render verse three. Here's how they put it. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. She repeatedly returned to the judge over and over again. And the reason why is because she was determined to pursue this parabolic judge so that he might do the right thing. Further confirmation of this interpretation can be found in the NASB, which reads in this way. Now there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my opponent. She kept coming and kept coming to him and, and demanding justice. She continued to ask the unjust judge to do what was right until the day when he finally did it. As we consider her constant approach, we must not fail to notice the response that this judge, which is, uh, you know, that, w- that we find here in these verses, we find his response there in verse four. Here Jesus tells us that he would not for a while, you know, do the right thing. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Here in these verses, we find this unjust judge making the the right decision, but not because he had a healthy fear of God, not because he respected other people, but because he just wanted to be rid of her. 
He just wanted to, this woman to, to just go away. He, he wanted her to stop complaining about the great injustice that had happened to her. The scholars who created the New Living Translation, they present verse 5 with even greater clarity by rendering the Greek in this way. This woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. So many jokes, just not enough time. But we can see here that the the unjust judge ended up doing what was right. And the reason why is because he realized that he was never, ever going to hear the end of it if he didn't just respond to her request and give her righteousness. In light of his decision, let's consider the parabolic point that the Lord Jesus then goes on to present. It's there in verse 7 where he asks, Shall God not avenge his own elect? who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. In other words, if an unjust judge is willing to do what is right because of the repeated requests of a persistent person, then there should be no doubt that the Lord will also do what is right as he responds to our prayer requests. And the reason why is because God is a just judge. We're not approaching an unjust judge. We pray to a just judge. And as a just judge, he will always do what is right. That being the case, we should not only pray to God with careful persistence, not losing heart, but we should also pray with faithful patience, knowing that the Lord will respond to our prayers eventually. And he will respond in righteousness. Now, with this as the goal, I want to consider the concern that Christ Jesus shared here in our text today. If you would look with me once again at the beginning of verse 7. Here again, Jesus declares, Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, as we consider this question, let's not forget the context. The context is all about persistent and patient prayer, and and the greater context is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the Lord Jesus here seems to be suggesting that the days which will lead up to his second advent will be filled with faithless people who no longer believe in the importance of prayer. The closer it gets to the time of Christ's second coming... There's a question, will people even have enough faith to pray at that point in time? And with this question in mind, you know, it's sad to say that there are many Christians in the church today who have been so conditioned by our secular society that they don't really have the faith that it takes for persistent, patient prayer. Many Christians, they pray once or twice, and if it doesn't, you know, go their way, then they just stop praying. Because they don't really have the faith to believe that they can just keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. God will eventually answer in righteousness. Does this describe your prayer life? Are, Are you quick to lose heart? Do you easily give up hope when it comes to your prayers? If this sounds like your struggle, then I encourage you to remember what Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 11. And yeah, there are two kinds of Christians in the world. Uh, The first are those who believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and the second are those Christians who are wrong. But uh, so it's here in, in Hebrews chapter 11 where Paul writes this. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. The reason why is because the only way we can approach the Lord is by faith. The only way we can approach the just judge of heaven and earth is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because we are sinners. 
And sinners cannot approach a holy God without receiving the just punishment that we deserve. But those whose lives have been hidden in Christ by faith in the cross, well, we've been forgiven for our sins. Our sins were wiped out on the cross. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we can boldly enter the throne room of grace by faith in Jesus Christ. Conversely, the Lord isn't listening to the prayers of those who really don't believe in the cross of Christ. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And without faith, it's impossible to approach him. Not only that, but he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking the Lord in prayer? The Lord will reward those who, by faith, diligently seek him. The Lord rewards those who faithfully pray with enduring patience as we wait for his righteous response. And it's possible that you've been praying with enduring patience and yet the Lord still hasn't answered your prayers and you're beginning to lose heart. Maybe you're beginning to lose hope and you're, uh, the, the prayer that you used to pray once a day now you're praying once a week, or maybe you started praying once a week and now it's kind of once a month or once a quarter. Maybe you've stopped praying that prayer altogether, just assuming that God's just not going to answer. If this sounds like your situation, please trust me when I tell you it's always too soon to lose heart because we've been called to pray always, to pray without ceasing. It's always too soon to stop praying to the just judge who has a righteous reason for every delay. To prove my point, I want to consider something that James wrote in his little epistle. If you would hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke and let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 1. Here we find James. He's helping his audience to understand the importance of being patient as we seek the Lord. As you make your way to the first chapter of James... I just want to take a moment to point out that the word patient is synonymous with the word long-suffering. I hate that. If you're praying for patience, then you're praying that the Lord would give you opportunities to suffer long. That's why I never pray for patience. Patience refers to the enduring forbearance of those who trust that the Lord is in fact working all things together for the good of those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. And listen, if we truly have the faith to believe that the Lord is working all things together for our good, then won't we also recognize that the trial of unanswered prayer is also intended for our good? Oh, we think unanswered prayer is just God being mean. And yet, according to James, this is just a trial that God is using for our good. Let's consider how James puts it here in James chapter 1. Look with me there, beginning at verse 2. Here James declares, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James here is reminding us of the fact that the Lord allows every trial, he allows every trouble into our life so that we might begin to develop the patient faith that results in our perfection. This is the path of sanctification. So the Lord <clears throat> allows us to uh, struggle with trials. He allows us to, to deal with troubles so that the testing of our faith results in our perfection. And, and listen, this includes the trials and the troubles that we suffer as we wait for the Lord to respond to our repeated prayers. Yeah, that's a, that's a trial, isn't it? Unanswered prayer? 
Isn't it troubling when the Lord doesn't answer your prayer? Of course. If this sounds like something you've been struggling with, please trust me when I tell you that every unanswered prayer is actually just a trial that the Lord is using to perfect you through the faithful patience that leads us back to persistent prayer. So don't give up. Don't stop praying because of unanswered prayer. Don't come to the conclusion that God must be an unjust judge who's not doing what's right. No, he's just giving you an opportunity to be patient. Why? For your perfection. To prove my point, notice with me again here at James chapter 1, beginning uh, there at verse 5, James goes on to write, if any of you lacks wisdom, which I always find to be a very polite way to put it, I would write, you lack wisdom. So ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in, in what? In faith. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Listen, if you're struggling to understand why God is allowing you to suffer a certain trial or a certain trouble, and you've been praying about this and he hasn't answered your prayer, let that be an indicator light that leads you to pray even more and to pray with faithful patience, asking the Lord to then give you the wisdom that you need so that you might understand the trial. Or at least the wisdom to recognize that whatever the reason for the trial, it's for your good. So calm down, chill out. And look for the purpose that God has, which is your perfection. And as you continually pray, don't forget that the repeated request, it must be presented with faith and no doubting because those who prayerfully come before God, we must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he will reward those who diligently seek him with faithful patience. Now this brings us to our third and final point because listen, believers should not only pray with careful persistence and we should not only pray with faithful patience, but believers ought to also pray with humble penitence. And with this as the focus, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 18. Here in Luke 18, we find the Lord Jesus presenting his disciples with a a second parable about prayer. And with that, I want to pick up our study of of these verses, uh, beginning there at verse 9. There in verse 9, Luke tells us that he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, here in this second parable, we find the Lord Jesus. He's presenting us with this you know, story about these two men who go up to pray. And Luke presents us with a, a little information up front by telling us that this parable was about some who trusted in themselves. They were trusting in their own righteousness as if they had some. They were self-righteous and therefore they despised others. Jesus here is helping his disciples uh, to, to, to understand the, how, how the prayer of those who trusted in themselves was rejected while those who were humble, well, the prayer is accepted. And so we're presented with the contrast between these two characters who were prayerfully approaching the throne of God. And we should notice that they're, you know, they're approaching God in two completely different ways. Now listen, they're both Jews. 
They're both standing in the same temple. They're both there at the hour of prayer. And yet the prayer of the one man was received while the prayer of the other was ignored. With this, I want to take a closer look at the prideful prayer offered by the religious leader who trusted in his own righteousness. Notice again at verse 11, the Lord Jesus tells us that the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that that I possess. And I'm sure within his heart was so much more, so many more reasons for why he was just the best person in the world. But we should first notice that this prayer is being offered by this conservative religious leaders. That's, that's what the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the conservatives. They weren't like the liberal religious leaders. They were the conservative religious leaders. You know, they, they had the strictest interpretation of the law. They, they had the most rigorous, you know, approach at studying the scriptures. You know, they, they had the, all the hand-washing routines down. They, they, they were completely about not only the laws of God, but the laws of men. And they believed that they were right before God because of their bloodline and because of the laws that they kept. The Pharisees were seen as deeply spiritual men and the Lord informs us that this Pharisee went to the temple at the hour of prayer and then tells us that he stood and prayed thus with himself. Now, at the simplest, you know, the simplest uh, interpretation of this is that he stood by himself. That he found a place to just, to, just to go stand by himself, you know, separating himself from, you know, all the other sinners that were there. But in another sense, this seems to suggest that he prayed thus to himself. Yeah, he wasn't praying to God. Why? Well, he trusted in himself, so who would he pray to then? Well, he was praying to hear himself. I'm reminded of the, the way that Jesus described the Pharisees who would go to the street corners and lift up their arms on the street corners and, and offer these eloquent prayers on the street corners, not because they were talking to God, but because they wanted everybody else to think, wow, look at that spiritual man. Look how awesome they are. That's what this guy was doing. He was praying thus with himself. He was just, hearing himself, because God wasn't listening. This prayer was just revealing the pride that filled his heart. He was self-righteous. He was trusting in himself. And, and, and therefore, well, there's no reason to confess sins, but rather just to boast about how awesome he was. He prayed and presented himself as a man who's better than most. And, and I can just hear him praying, thank you, God. I'm, I'm not like all these sinners up in here who, who, who need to come in here and repent. I can come in here and stand in my, in my own righteousness. You know, I can imagine him saying, thank you, God, that I am the best person ever. That I never struggle with any sin. You know, I have the right, you know, version of the Torah and I, and I, and I have the best interpretation of it. And I have the strictest policies on how to live my life. And Is it any wonder that the Lord wasn't listening to this prayer? Why would God want to hear that? If we're going to boast in anyone, who? We boast in Jesus Christ. But now compare this to the prayer of the tax collector who goes to the same temple at the same time. And, and while, you know, the, the Pharisee lifts up his arms and looks up to heaven as if, you know, he's, you know, here to really bless God with his presence, the tax collector won't even look up. Verse 13, that he stood afar off. He separated himself as if he wasn't even worthy to stand in the presence of others. And he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I should understand that Jewish tax collectors were seen as traitors. They were believed to be thieves, taking more than, than what they were supposed to. And in a lot of cases, it was true. And it's possible that this Jewish tax collector had come to a point of conviction by realizing that he was a thief. That he had been a traitor. But regardless, what we see is this man who wouldn't even lift up his eyes. 
He beat himself in the chest and begged for God's mercy. He truly understood that he was a sinner. Now, both men were sinners. But this was the one who recognized it. And he, he, he realized that he didn't deserve to approach the throne room of grace. And, and with this heart filled with humility, the Lord was willing to receive the humble prayer of this sinner, the tax collector. As a matter of fact, look again at verse 13. Here, Luke writes, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Lord Jesus here is helping his audience to understand that the prayer of the tax collector was received. And the reason why is because the prayer was offered in humility. Rather than boasting in his own works, like the Pharisee who had been, you know, had a heart filled with pride, you know, the tax collector, instead, he confesses his sins to the Lord as he cries out for the mercy of God. And according to Christ Jesus, you know, his penitent prayer was received by the God who has promised to exalt the humble. Notice again in verse 14, again, Jesus declares, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Lord isn't listening to the prayers of those whose hearts are filled with pride. The Lord isn't listening to the prayers of those who come before him, you know, letting the Lord know what a, what a pleasure it is for him for me to be part of this, uh, this whole program. God's not interested. But those who will humbly confess their faults to the Lord with repentant prayers will soon discover that the Lord is always ready to receive the repentant. And the, the Lord is always ready to receive those who approach him in humble penitence. And not only is he happy to receive the penitent prayers of those who walk in humility, but he's also promised to exalt those who humble themselves through repentance. If we will lower ourselves before him, he will exalt us. In order to further grasp this incredible truth, let's consider the way that James put it in his epistle. If you would, let's turn to James chapter 4. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of James, I just want to take a moment to point out that those who are humble... Well, we see prayer as a privilege which enables us to then draw near to God. Prayer is a privilege. But in contrast to this, those who are proud, well, they see prayer as an opportunity to boast about themselves. Maybe you've been to some prayer meetings where someone started praying and it was just really about, you know, how awesome they are and how many things they're accomplishing for the Lord and his kingdom and you know, they just kind of turn their prayer into just kind of like this, the, the humble brag is what we call it. Yeah, some people pray like that. They're praying, but really it's just kind of to let everybody in the room know, you know, how spiritual they are. And then there are those who are filled with pride and they see prayer as a method of manipulation. They might be trying to manipu manipulate the, the people around them like praying for you know, some financial need. Oh Lord, I just pray that you would help me with my finances. I'm broke. And all in the hopes that someone with money might you know, come alongside after the prayer meeting and say, hey, here's 20 bucks. You know, It's just manipulation. Another me method of manipulation is trying to convince God to get on their page. Lord, if you just, you know, give me some more money, you know, I'll use it to, to bless the church. I'll, 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 I'll start tithing, God. You know, Lord, if you, if you, if you would give me, you know, more time off, I'll use it to do, to do evangelism. It's prayers of manipulation, trying to convince God to get on their page. And it's sad to say that the church is filled with people who see prayer as this opportunity to convince God to give them what they want so that they can have their way. 
And the world is filled with these people, you know, and as a result, you know, people are coming with their own agendas and they've prayed about it. So they think God is on their side. And so they move forward thinking that, well, God's on my side and you're not, you're not on my side. So you must be against God. So I'm willing to engage in conflict with you, grain. Let's consider how James put it here in James chapter four. If you would look with me there. At verse one, here James declares, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here in these verses, we find James helping his audience to understand that the pride-filled prayers of those who are only interested in pursuing their own selfish pleasures, those prayers are ignored by God. Yeah, you can ask all day long, but he won't give it to you because you're asking for all the wrong reasons. At the same time, we can rejoice in knowing that the Lord who's always ready to give more grace to those who are humble, he's just looking for those with penitent prayers to to humbly come before him and say, Lord, I, I blew it again, help me. And so we would do well to humbly approach the Lord with penitent prayers as we realize that it's a privilege a privilege to spend time presenting our prayers to the Lord. Think about that for a moment. It's a privilege to talk to important people, people that are above our pay grade, people who have powerful positions. And and when they take the time to just talk with you, you, you feel privileged in that having gone to the pastor's conference uh, this past weekend, you know, Sandy Adams, who kind of oversees uh, a lot of the Calvary chapels here in, in, in the southern region of America, you know, and he actually dropped my name. I was walking by, hey, Bungie. And, and, and I thought, oh, man, that's what a blessing, you know, this guy recognized me and, and, and drew me into a conversation. I felt privileged. And and we feel privileged when someone of importance and power takes the time to talk to us. And and for example, just imagine, you know, President Zelensky calling you right now to to ask your opinion about what to deal with, do with the, the Ukraine situation. Would you stop and take that phone call right now? I would. And if President Biden called you right now and, and wanted your opinion on what to do you know, with the economy and these sorts of things, would you take that phone call right now? I would. It would be a point of privilege to answer and say, yeah, what, what is it, President Biden? And he'd be like, true international depression. And I'd be like, what are you trying to say? I don't understand the, what, these words. Let me see if I can get someone to, you know, with the gift of interpretation here. And then we try to work it out, you know. Open the pipeline, you know, get back to fracking. But so anyway, so. (laughs) But there's a point of privilege when powerful people look to us to communicate. The creator of heaven and earth is ready to talk with us. The king of kings. The Lord of Lords wants to have daily conversations with you. And yet, how many of us are just kind of like, I'm so busy today, I don't really have time for prayer. You don't have time to not pray. 
With that, I want to wrap up our study by considering something that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 4. It's verse 2 where Paul declares, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Continue, pray without ceasing, earnestly get to work at this. Yeah, it'll be work. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving. It's so sad to discover how many Christians see prayer as the last ditch effort for whatever the issue is. Well, I, I tried this, I tried to do that, and this other thing, and I guess it's time to pray. What? Praying wasn't the first thing you did? Yeah, my life's a mess. I'm trying to work it out. Yeah, I can see why. You're leaning on your own understanding rather than praying. Well, I got counsel. Really? Did they tell you to pray? (laughs) That's the first counsel you need. Go pray about it. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Don't let prayer be the last ditch effort that you use when all hope is gone. We've been called to pray without ceasing, always and about everything. And with this as the goal, I encourage you in closing, let's remember that every believer has been called to pray with careful persistence as we continue praying without ceasing about every single thing. We've been called to pray with faithful patience as we realize that even unanswered prayer is a reason to keep praying. And we've been called to pray with humble penitence as we realize that prayer is a privilege that we do not deserve because we are sinners. And yet God has granted to those who will humble themselves before him and approach him with penitent prayers, we can come into the throne room of grace and seek his help in our time of need. I like the way that E.M. Bounds put it when he declared, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. If prayer feels like a challenging chore that's, you know, a waste of your time, I hope that you'll realize that you have an improper perspective about prayer. Prayer is a privilege and it's an advantageous opportunity that allows the Christian to connect and communicate with the greatest being who's ever existed. Therefore, rather than treating prayer like a tedious task that gets in the way of our busy, busy day, I encourage you to remember that those who will learn to pray always and without ceasing, we will enjoy all of the perfect privileges that the Lord pours out on those who will spend time engaging in the spiritual discipline of prayer. Let's pray.